Hello, it's Friday, February 23rd, 2018 at 1 o'clock Eastern Time, and this is Higher Ed Special Edition. I'm your host, Andrea Boyle-Tippett from the University of Delaware. On today's live broadcast, we'll be discussing structure. Is your MarCom team organized for success? Spring can't come soon enough, and having renewed orderliness and organization is one of my favorite things about the season. And I think today's webinar will help you with that. During this webinar, our guest, Teresa Paulson, will talk about assessing your current team, determining which buckets each function belongs within, breaking down silos, and integrating workflow. Today's Higher Ed Special Edition is part of the Higher Ed Live Network. Episodes offer you direct access to the best and brightest minds in education. Be a part of the live broadcast by sharing your knowledge and questions. And you can do that by taking part in today's discussion using the hashtag Higher Ed Live on Twitter. So again, the hashtag is Higher Ed Live. Higher Ed Live is produced by M. Stoner, a digital first agency committed to tailor solutions that drive real results. Have you ever wondered what prospective teens are thinking when they receive and read, or ignore, your institution's recruitment marketing? M. Stoner's third study in its myth-busting series, in par partnership with NRCCUA, is the first to focus on the complete enrollment marketing mix. The research will uncover the best marketing channels and communication preferences that have the biggest influence on prospective teens' perceptions of your institution. Don't miss your last chance to sign up and receive early access to the research results and white paper releasing this month. We'll be tweeting out a link in just a moment, and again, that's with the hashtag HigherEdLive. All of our episodes are free and easy to access in the video archives at HigherEdLive.com or you can take it on the go with you by subscribing to the audio podcast. Today's episode is made possible by PRSA's Counselors to Higher Education Professional Interest section. Counselors to Higher Ed provides PR professionals working in colleges and universities with publications, insights into the best ways to promote the value, power, and appropriate role of communications and marketing functions within institutions of higher ed as well as terrific networking opportunities and virtual events. Be sure to join us in Nashville from April 11th through the 13th for our Senior Summit Conference. We'll tweet out a link to that registration as well. And I am personally pumped about Nashville and I am totally bringing my cowboy boots that look absolutely ridiculous when I wear them in Delaware. And now let's talk, talk with today's guest, Teresa Paulson. Teresa is founder and owner of Teresa Paulson Communication, LLC. She is a senior marketing and communication leader with more than 20 years of experience working alongside C-suite executives, including university administrators, to drive organizations' desired results. She has helped teams navigate through dozens of complex situations using a combination of methods, including progressive digital marketing, strategic marketing and media relations, and executive coaching. Teresa's university-specific expertise includes introducing and deploying business-to-consumer marketing strategies to further enrollment, retention, and engagement objectives. She worked with the University of Nebraska consulting with a specific focus on communication team organizational structure and scope. And then she later became the Chief Marketing and Communication Officer at the Nebraska Flagship University, where she worked with her counterparts at, on the system's campuses and with the colleges and departments in the flagship in Lincoln to develop organizational structures to boost communication effectiveness. Teresa, welcome. Thanks, Andrea. I'm so excited, so excited today. today. We're excited to have you. Yeah, well, I, I, um, I um, some people are there with some flooding and things like that. So um, thinking about folks who are dealing with those kinds of issues and other issues, I know there's always something going on at college campuses. So thanks for taking time to listen to this today. I am really passionate about this topic. I love talking about helping um, to make teams more effective. So I'm going to share my screen and we will dive right into these. Perfect. All right. Let me see if I can hide that bottom Okay, here we go. So really the objectives of today are to go over the ideas and concepts about marketing communication teams and their organizational structure. You know, I know that some of you are part of teams that are 20 or more people and some of you are one or two people shops. So I'll make many of these ideas applicable to everybody. Um, and who knows, you know, people who are in two people teams right now might be part of very large teams at some point and vice versa. So 
Focusing on um, assessing current team structure today, we'll actually spend most of our time on that, but we'll also talk about determining functional buckets, breaking down silos, integrating workflow, and uh, things along those lines. And just like with all of these sessions, there will be time for questions at the end. So um, that's actually my favorite part. So I would love it if you guys could think of questions and, and be ready to go with those. I think the dialogue is probably the, the best part of these types of conversations. So jumping into the first slide, what I'm trying to say here is, you know, we do communication um, to get to a better end. We're not really doing it for the sake of communication is to drive the organization's goals and its mission. In the same way, the right organizational structure is a means to better communication. So we're not rejiggering organizational structures or changing lines and boxes just for the fun of it. We're really doing it to try to improve productivity, try to get to better communication, try to help our institutions get to better results overall. I will say that some people do it just for fun. This is my uh, my slide poking a little bit of, of fun at folks who are in the constant cycle of reorgs with um, you know centralizing everything that is decentralizing, then centralizing everything that is centralized and, and on and on we go. Um, there really are organizations who do it this way. Um, I've been part of those organizations and I've, I've learned a lot um, but it's uh, obviously not something that we want to do just because um, we can. We want to do it for specific reasons. Org structure definitely matters to people. It's really an emotional issue. And um, again, trying to have a little bit of fun here today. I don't know if any of you are fans of the office, but um, they, I mean, titles, pay, who goes where, what are your what are you called? All of it is somewhat of an emotional issue. And so this kind of cuts to the cuts to the core of the matter here with uh, the exchange between Dwight and Michael about titles, you know, which is higher, assistant regional manager or regional director in charge of sales. Michael says the titles are irrelevant. They just relate to pay scale. So Dwight says, well, okay, who gets paid more? Me or Andy? And Michael in his um, KG but pretty idiotic, typical way, that's more or less, it's just different. <laughs> so it does come down to power shifts and I don't know that people normally think about those things when they're thinking about reorganizing an, a um, department but um, those power shifts can be real you know you can make somebody the boss who wasn't the boss before you can um, have perceived power shifts whether they're you intended to do that or not so not to be taken lightly, think about unintended consequences. Um, but, you know, sometimes you do need to shake up or sometimes you just need um, to rearrange some things to make them be more effective. Just have to make sure eyes are wide open when we do that. So how do I know about this stuff? Um, like Andrea said, a number of years in communication leadership positions. Most recently, I was chief communication marketing officer at the University of Nebraska. Go Huskers. Go Big Red. And um, before that, um, some other leadership jobs in private industry um, and in government. In all of those positions, we've looked at reorganizations and that has been for my own teams, that has been for other teams across the, the organizations. And so I've had the opportunity to work with some really smart people in these areas. Um, I may not have a lot to offer from an academic sense in this area. I don't have a PhD in org design. I do have a master's in organizational communication, but really my credentials come from real life practice in organizational change and evaluation of communication teams and their work. At Nebraska, what I did there for a year before I came on board in an official capacity was do an assessment and an evaluation of the communication and marketing work going on there. And a lot of that did focus on org structure, who was doing what, how could it become more efficient and effective. And um, I'm happy to say that the work was well underway when I left the university. Some of it really came down to a mind shift change, which improved how people behaved. I'll just share a quick story. At one point at the university, I, um, I was part of a meeting, part of setting up a meeting to focus on growing enrollment for a particular college. So obviously we invited the recruiter for the college and the communicator for the college 
But we got to the meeting and the recruiter and the communicator hadn't actually ever met before, which I thought was pretty stunning because we were very focused on increasing enrollment. So I figured that the communicator and the recruiter um, had been working together already. That was not the case. But I had both been at the university for a long time. I don't know how long, but they had both been at the university. So it was, um, it was pretty interesting, but it was just a reflection of how siloed some things had, had become and, and how um, some of the communication folks needed to get more focused on um, what the organization at large was trying to achieve. So anyway, um, just kind of breaking through that and creating a new mindset around um, working together and focusing on the larger objectives of the organization got people talking. And, and today, the university is having regular planning sessions between the college communicators and the recruiters. So, you know, I mean, once the concept of working together was introduced, it was hard to deny that it made sense. So I worked on, um, I can't even count how many communication reorgs I've worked on. Um, I've done my own team evaluations and overseen at least half a dozen more. But that's actually not the most interesting part for me. What I am passionate about, and I mentioned this earlier, is really improving productivity, creating better outcomes for the organization, and helping to impact and create an environment that is more fulfilling, gets rid of some of the frustration, breaks down some silos, and um, makes workflows better. Um, I do have lower costs up there, and I know that that may not be applicable to everyone, but I've never worked in a place where lower costs weren't important. And so I typically do talk about and think about efficiency and effectiveness when I think about organization of a communication and marketing team. So why would you change an organizational structure? What are some of the things to think about um, before we start drawing lines and boxes? Uh, earlier in my career, I went to an HR leader, and, and that is exactly what I wanted to do. I said, I'm going to do a reorganization, and here's who I want here, and here's who, who I want there. And she stopped me, and she said, well, why are you doing this in the first place? What are you trying to solve? And really, it was a great conversation about ineffectiveness. And she asked me about, um, you know, was I the best leader that I could be? And what were some of the things that I could do to improve my team's performance? Or the, was there confusion about roles? And did people know what they were supposed to be working on and, and who was doing what? Were there workflow issues that could be solved without a restructuring of the organization? And were the wrong incentives in place? And by that, I don't mean bonuses, money bonuses. I mean, you know, what makes people tick? What makes them want to put forth that discretionary effort to work on the right things and with 100% effort? Um, you know, maybe some people want less micromanagement, maybe more, some people want more freedom, maybe some people want more direction. Um, you really have to dive in and figure out what the team, what makes the team tick and, and work at its best. Middle bucket, um, something else, a whole area that could make you evaluate what your team is working on and how it's arranged, new responsibilities thrown your way. Maybe it's emerging techniques or technologies or societal changes. And I'm going to provide an example of that on my next slide. Um, but one of the things that I think we often forget about are expiring techniques, technologies, or societal changes that make some of the work that we've done in the past irre irrelevant. I've been around long enough to, to see that happen. And, and that's hard to, you know, it's hard to eliminate a function within communication when it's not needed anymore. Um, take some courage, um, especially if the skill sets of the people who are doing that work uh, don't really apply to some things that need to be done um, today. Um, obviously, if you get reassignments from another function and group, you have to figure out where, where that comes in and, and where does it sit. Um, one example of easy example of that would be maybe web design was outsourced before and, and you've decided to bring it in-house. Well, where, where are you going to put those folks? How should they be integrated? Far right bucket of examples, just greater organizational changes in the organization at, at large across the institution. Maybe the university has changed. Maybe there's a new college, a new center, something that requires some more communicators to be focused in that area. Um, some special long-term initiatives that must be addressed. Um, I know that 
um, American universities are, uh, many of them are coming up on 150 years, some of even past 200 years of existence. And so the, um, you know, that takes some work and some focus and it's probably gonna be a multi-year effort. So perhaps there's a little um, pod of people who, or a person who gets focused on that for a little bit. New leadership at a university or at a college will often bring about changes within communication. Um, that le new leader may just have different perspectives on communication and, and want to see things done differently. So that may cause you to think about changing your organizational structure. I said I'd share an example of technological and societal change, and this is a little bit of a messy slide, but I wanted to share it. It's something I actually put together a couple of years ago. And over there on the left, I have a quote pulled out from Richard Edelman as he was inducted into the um, Arthur Page Society Hall of Fame two and a half years ago. And I highlighted there something he said, our job is to be alive 24 seven with content and immersive experiences that are true to life and add value to relationships. So, you know, he's not talking about um, creating a video or, or creating a brochure. Um, I mean, he is, but he isn't, you know, it's about integration of content. It's about communication and marketing coming together. Um, his speech that night was actually very eye-opening for me in terms of the blend and the convergence of communication and marketing in today's world. If you look at my middle Venn diagram on that page, I've kind of arbitrarily called out some groups that um, sort of stood alone in the past to a certain extent, and in many places still are fairly siloed. You know, the news and PR team does its own thing. The identity or logo management group is, is sort of, you know, focused on their own areas. Recruitment marketing might be off on its own. And those things, that was probably okay that, that those groups weren't that integrated in the past. But with the, the, with social media the way it is and, and with um, everybody in society really having a voice at this point, um, we don't have control over discrete aspects of messaging anymore, in my opinion. So everyone has a voice, everyone is messaging. And that means that our communication has to be as aligned as possible so that it breaks through. And, um, you know, at the bottom, I've kind of mushed everything together there along with stakeholder input, changed some of the titles to communication, marketing, and branding, and overlap the events more to just show the, the consolidation that I think we need in terms of how we go about our work. Otherwise, I don't think we will break through. Um, there's so many competing messages out there. We've got to have power through alignment. So let's say you've decided to change. You've said, yep, we've got some things to, that we can address and through a realignment of our resources. So before you kind of just go off and do that, I would recommend that um, you follow a process. This is my process. It doesn't mean that it's the only process. There are a lot of different ways to go about this kind of work. But one of the things that I think is real critical to the beginning is an assessment. And um, that can include a lot of things, but analysis of capabilities, analysis of the work the team does, what's the structure that will allow you to, that will be most conducive to that work? What's your model, um, which is different than structure? And I'll talk about those a little bit more. Um, and what goes where? So where does social media belong? Where does multimedia go? Um, and then input and involvement and the importance of that. Um, without the input involvement and involvement in the assessment phase, I think it's really hard to get to the next phase in a very productive way. Um, implementation, which can include things um, like an overall approach to create more buy-in, developing something that I call a team story. I have an example of that in the appendix here today if we have time to take a look at it. At a little exercise called, when we say this, we mean this, we mean that. Um, which is fascinating to take a group through. It really gets to the heart of um, what are we really here for? And um, we, you know, we, we say we're going to be excellent at X, Y, Z, but what does that mean in terms of what we're doing on a daily basis? Kind of leads into expectations. 
for individuals and for the entire group. And I've also listed there a case for change, which I view as part of any implementation process, which is really just a PowerPoint deck that says, here's the data, here's why we're changing, here's how we're gonna go about doing it. Teresa, when you talk about when we say this, we mean this, is that kind of, you know, we say this and this is the strategy and we mean this and this is the, and that's the tactics or am I getting that wrong? It's a little bit simpler than that. It's really just, um, so let's say that we're gonna be world-class at photography, you know, and we have that in our team story. We're gonna be world-class in videography. Well, what does that mean on an executional basis? Does that mean that we're gonna go out and hire the world's leading videographers? Does that mean that our turnaround time is 48 hours? What do we mean specifically? And it's really interesting when you do this with a group of people who work together, you know, you, you think you're saying the same things, but when you go through the exercise of what that specifically means to individuals, you typically find some pretty big differences. I took a, um, a business leadership group through that exercise once. Um, we spent an entire day on their mission statement, and um, I mean, it was rough. They, <laughs> I mean, this was this was their business. This was their for-profit business. Um, they we were nowhere close to being on the same page in regard to um, what they actually meant by their mission statement. Um, but at the end of the day, the the person who was in charge of that business said it was the best meeting that that he had ever been in because it just got to it got to very meaningful conversation and it created incredible alignment within their within their leadership team. I think that that just that sentence is so helpful and useful in so many different areas. I I can think of multiple meetings that I've been in where that would have been a very useful phrase to spend some time on. Yeah, I mean, it seems dumb at first, right? Yeah, yeah but it, it, you, you realize that uh, the problem is you only realize it after the fact, right? Like when something goes wrong or some and, and then some, or, or even something goes right. And then people say, well, this happened, but I was expecting this. And you think, I didn't know you were expecting that. Yeah, that's where I'm kind of seeing it come into play uh, on a day to day basis versus uh, also at the larger level, too. Yeah, yeah. Pretty powerful. And then just into the, the you know, the day-to-day, -day, the producing of what you do, um, which requires that there's constant work on flattening the silos, um, improving workflow, making sure you have the right performance systems in place, and then ongoing assessment. So um, all of these things, in my opinion, are, are reflective of what it takes to create a healthy, productive team for the long haul. We don't have time to go through all of those things today, but um, so I thought we would focus on assessment. And then if there are questions about some of these other things um, at the end, or if you wanna follow up with me, that's fine. I'm happy to spend more time in, in any of these other areas. As far as assessment goes, there's a lot of ways to go about this, right? So, um, and you've probably done some of this work before. Uh, you can do um, analysis of content and materials. You can do time workflow assessments, which will make you very unpopular. Um, I don't know if you guys know what that is, but it's just really you, know, you have the team minute by minute for a week document what they've what they're working on, and then you you do an analysis of that to figure out is the actual work we're doing what we intended to be doing. Um, so kind of onerous and. Trust me, people don't like it. But one easier approach and something that I would involve in any assessment is, is basic interviews. And as communicators, we're usually pretty good at these things. I like to do them one-on-one. -on -one. Um, you can do small groups, but I think one-on-one -on -one brings more candor. And I like to do them with both leaders and with communication team members. So with leaders, you know, what you want to avoid is getting into conversations around, you know, well, should we be changing our color palette? for our institution. That's not what these kinds of interviews are for. They're really to understand what the leader's goals are. So not their communication goals, but what are they charged with um, as a leader in the institution? Uh, what are the obstacles to achieving those goals? And um, how do you see communication fitting in? 
I try to spend more time on the first two bullets than um, the communication aspects of it because um, I think there's just more richness there and you can figure out the communication stuff on, on your own. Um, but, you know, sorry, biggest strengths and weaknesses of the university overall, um, how do you see communication helping um, take advantage of strengths and further strengths or, you know, is communication actually causing a weakness? And the last bullet point here, I think, is important for leaders, a conversation for leaders. Um, what trade-offs would you make to improve communication? So if we don't have more money, but we want better communication, what are we not going to invest in so that we can invest more in communication? Um, even if people don't have the answer to that, it's a good way to plant the seed that communication marketing do require strategic investment. With communication team members, it's um, it's just a little bit more of a casual conversation, I think, but it can also be more emotional. And um, I think communicators, when you know, you talk about you know we're we're considering how to make the team more efficient and effective, we're considering um, perhaps even a restructure, but we want to improve workflow. People will have ideas. They also may feel a little bit threatened. So it's a good opportunity just to sit and talk with people about what their concerns are. Um, and, and try to make it personal. You know, do you have a career path or plan? What does that look like? What, what are your obstacles to achieving goals? How do you see communication fitting in with the university goals? Check for their line of sight. You know, do, you, do the communication team members understand how the communication they're doing helps the institution achieve its goals? Interesting to get communicators' perspectives on the biggest strengths and weaknesses of the university and sort of compare and contrast those to leaders um, leaders at the university. And it's also interesting to get their perspective of what's the strengths and weaknesses of the communication work and the team. Do you yeah. ever ask them? Yeah, go ahead. Do you ever ask them if what their thoughts are on how the team should be aligned or is that a bad idea? I think it's... It's okay to ask it. You just have to be careful about, you just have to be careful. You have to have a good understanding of who you're talking to and what their perspectives are. Um, I've always been pretty open with team members, um, but people understand over time that, you know, they weren't necessarily the ones calling the shots. They could be influential. They were more than welcome to share their opinions. Um, so it depends a little bit on the dynamic and the culture of the team, but um, I think it's pretty healthy to be to be having those conversations. I would stop short, obviously, of getting into um, titles and conversations about other folks on the team and their particular performance. Sure. So that's just one approach, interviews and conversations. Um, I think there are a lot of ways to do assessments as I alluded, but I would, um, I would, would consider including this one. Let's go ahead and start talking about some structures and models. Um, this is structure um, specifically. There are a lot of different structures out there, a lot of ways to put a team together. These are just four that I've highlighted. Um, probably they're familiar, you're familiar with them. Decentralized, um, University of Nebraska was extremely decentralized, still is to a great degree, even though I think the mindset has changed. The, um, you know, so common at, at universities to be decentralized and, and that's okay. I mean, there, there are reasons for that. There are reasons um, that that works, but it, is challenging from a communication perspective and and it is it requires other ways of working to try to get messages into greater alignment to have the strength to break through centralized i see that as a reflection of you know agency models and um central university communication teams i mean there can be central teams within colleges but ultimately if you've got eight colleges with a little central team and then a central university communications team, you are really running a decentralized model. It's just little, little pods out there. Um, a true centralization would be picking up everyone who does communication and marketing and putting them together as one team, solid line reporting to a leader and um, calling it good. I'm not a huge fan of complete centralization because I think it removes people from the areas that um, are really delivering the um, 
um, products and services, if you will. I realize that universities don't necessarily talk about products and services um, a lot, but essentially, I mean, you're selling a education and um, you're producing research, producing educated folks. So, um, but I think centralization, taking people out of where um, research happens and classes are taught is, um, it removes people from um, knowing a lot about what's actually going on in the institution. Hub and spoke, another variation of centralization um, and decentralization, kind of a mix. So as the name would indicate, a central hub could be one person, could be a group of people, and then um, individuals or small teams out there assigned to colleges. Not a solid line reporting, probably not even a dotted line reporting, but, um, but they do try to be aligned and in messaging aligned in process. A matrix is, um, that's my favorite and it's the most complicated and some people really hate it for the complexity, but mm -hmm. I'll try to explain it in a way that, that makes sense. So the lines across the top, um, I've put in here, for example, the sake of example, communication, IT, finance, HR, and facilities. And the left uh, where I have all of the whys is really um, meant to represent various aspects of an organization. So for a university, it could, it could be different colleges. So College of Arts and Sciences, College of Fine Arts, College of Architecture, could also be athletics, could be a research hospital, could be various centers uh, that the university has. And the way the ma a matrix works is the functions of, say, for example, communication, IT, and HR, um, those are really, they're, they're centralized groups to a certain extent. They belong on the communication team or they belong on the IT team. They report up through that structure, but they're assigned out into various um, places that they serve. And those places see them as part of their team. So the College of Arts and Sciences leadership team would have a communicator on it. It would have an IT person on it. It would have an HR person on it, along with the deans and the associate deans in that college. And they would function as a leadership team in that college. But the communicator reports back to the communication leader. The IT person reports back to the IT person. It's a, it's a blend. It's a matrix. It allows for professional development within the function. It allows the function to move talent around um, to the various entities that it's serving within the organization. To me, it's the best of both worlds, but a, um, but a little bit more complex than the other three that I've shown here. And in that model, where do the different groups that are working for the colleges where do they fit in? So if the communications leader is in the college of business, but reports to the VP for comms, where do the, you know, the people who, the, the multimedia producer or, or, the, or the writer or someone on that team that's specific to the college of business, where are those people in that mix? So they would line up with the, um, the head of communication in the college of business. Okay. That's yeah. what I thought. I was just making sure. Yeah, but it's a great question. It actually leads to my next slide because so the bottom left messy mess that I have over there is reflective of that, right? So most people don't have 100-person communication teams. I can kind of hear the eye rolls out there as I'm talking because, you know, the matrix model can immediately make you think, oh, my God, well, we're going to have to have you know, we're literally going to have to have 100 communication people to run a model like that. So what I have on the bottom left is a model that I've run in the past. I actually ran this model at ConAgra Foods. I just changed um, some of the titles on here to make it more higher ed oriented. But what you can do is you can have um, a assigned communicator sitting in the College of Business drawing on the resources of centers of expertise in communication. So let's say that, um, you know, you're going to have some web work, you're going to have some digital work in the College of Business, but you don't need a full-fledged digital web team sitting there. Um, you need resources, and so you're going to draw on those centralized, if you will, 
resources, those centers of expertise in various areas and various buckets. And um, you may have somebody else in the College of Business from communication. You may not be a one person show, um, but if you're a small college, maybe you, maybe you are and you entirely rely on those centers of expertise. They're all part of a communication team, but some are assigned specific areas and some are centers of expertise. I've even run this model where the same person had dual assignments. So she was the head of communication for uh, the consumer foods group within ConAgra Foods, but she also ran um, internal communication for the entire company for me. So she put together overall strategy for employee communication and the models that we use for communicating with employees across the company, but she was focused specifically and was part of the leadership team for a division within the company. Does that make a little bit more sense, Andrea, or yes, show you? That does make a little bit more sense. And um, what is, so that was a helpful instance with her, but what, say someone is assigned to, you know, the College of Fine Arts and they're drawing on these resources. I always wonder what that person's day to day looks like because I've, I've maybe as my bias seen a, a tendency in higher ed to have a lot of coaches, but not enough athletes, if that makes sense. Like there's a lot of people who can, who are coming up with strategy, but then the people to implement it might not be um, happening. Are you, are you looking at that person as being both a coach and an athlete? You know, they're sitting on the leadership team, but they're also, you know, writing or they're, they're involved in content creation. Yeah, no one gets away with not creating, being able to create some kind of content. I just think that that's essential. Um, but I also think that, you know, if you're going to have a generalist role, you need to be able to do strategy. You need to be able to put together a communication plan. You need to be able to sit with a senior leader and advise him or her on the right PR approach to a particular issue or opportunity. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, to say that, you know, I just do strategy and then I'm done for the day. Um, that's a luxury that I don't know that any of us can afford. So haven't seen oh, that. I'm not advocating for it. I'm just saying I've, I've seen it happen. Yeah. And for, for people who are listening, who are, you know, a one person team or a two person team, they're probably, you know, probably more eye rolls of, oh my gosh, you know, I got to do everything. So um, yeah, I get it. I was one of those people um, for a couple of different jobs and and I loved it. I mean, it's great to be able to have your hands in everything, um, but uh, but resource scarce is is something that I know very well. So this this page is really on models. So the previous page was on on structure. Um, and there are a lot more models besides this too, and a lot of different you know ways to put, your focus together. So I've just shown a couple here, but the the internal agency and service model is something that I think happens at universities quite a bit. Um, very creative services oriented. Um, sometimes will have a budget based on chargebacks to people who ask for their services from within the institution. You know, so you've got leaders requesting certain work, and the communication team provides it. Um, and typically that team would be made up more of specialists versus generalists. So photographers, videographers, you might have copywriters, designers, et cetera. Um, and then the operational and results-based model we talked a little bit about, but um, I call it an operational and a results-based model because um, what it requires of those assigned communicators is to really understand what that area um, is trying to achieve. So, you know, what are the priorities for the research hospital and how does great communication and marketing help them get to their, get to their priorities? Um, so being focused on the, on the results versus the communication activity. Um, I also think that it's um, healthy in this model that the, um, the communication team is responsible for the communication marketing spend for the institution and for, and is accountable for the results related to that. And I know that's um, not easy for universities and other area, other businesses to, you know, give up a communication budget. But if we're gonna treat the communication um, folks as professionals, treat it as a profession, 
um, an area of expertise, then I advocate for putting the budget there and holding those folks accountable for, for that budget. Okay, so we talked about structure, we've talked about models, we've talked about assessments. Um, this is more on assessments. Um, again, what are the team's capabilities, what work needs to be done, and then what goes where? It's really dependent upon model and structure, in my opinion. You know, I think in the agency and service model, what you're selling, quote unquote, can stand alone a little bit more. Um, but if you are leaning more toward operational and a results-oriented model, integration is definitely key. And um, that's just because a lot of those functional buckets need something from another area. So reputation management is going to need social media. Um, events are going to need creative services, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a tough question to answer. And I don't have in this presentation and, um, a bunch of sample organizational charts with different things in different places. I hope I'm not disappointing you in that. But it, I don't think you can get to the what goes where unless you know specifically what you're trying to achieve with your, with your model and your structure and your overall operation for the communication team. We talked a little bit about marketing versus communication, you know, what goes in marketing, what goes in communication. I really think in today's age, it is a blend. Um, and that is coming from a person who was in a um, consumer packaged goods business for over a decade where marketing is king of the hill. And um, it's, it's very, very, um, you know, communication teams come very second to the marketing teams in that kind of environment. And um, that's changing a little bit because of what I talked about earlier and um, social media and just the pressure on organizations um, to be sensitive to what's going on in society and reputation management. Um, but the opportunity, I think, within universities for a really cohesive effort on marketing and communication is there. Uh, we talked about this a little bit too. What if you're a one or two person communication team? Um, sure. I mean, you're, you don't have to decide what goes where because you're trying to do all of it, but you do need to decide what are you going to be working on? Um, do you have an opportunity to outsource some things that you think are lower value or you're just not the right person to add the most value in those areas? Um, so I, I think what you spend your time on and what you do all day long as a one or a two person communication team is, is very telling. And you, know, might, you might be in a position where you need to be very service oriented or you may be able to move further down the line into um, more strategic work. Regardless, you know, if you're going to change an org structure, if you're assessing it, um, it's going to require some courage. It's going to require buy-in. My quote from Robin Sharma here, you know, it's, it is hard at first. Um, and it's clearly very mess messy. And it can be gorgeous at the end. Um, it's not always gorgeous at the end, though. And I think it's a constant, ongoing assessment. Um, you know, if you remodel and redecorate your house and it feels good when you're done with that, but, you know, at some point you're going to be doing it again and you probably should be checking the foundation for cracks and making sure that the wiring is up to code. So it's not um, it's not done when you're at the end with with organizational design and and the work that's involved in making more efficient teams. So those are my slides. I would love to have um, questions or comments, input. Um, I can also run through some additional slides that show some of the work that we did at the University of Nebraska. Um, so whatever, whatever we think we should do here. I'm actually really interested in seeing your case study from the University of Nebraska if you want to go into that. Yeah, problem. So this is, um, this is the slide I threw in before the, the case study. This is a... Oh, and you know what? Let me interrupt you. I apologize. Um, if anyone does have questions, please tweet them out at um, hashtag higher ed live. Sorry, Teresa, back to you. Go ahead. So before we get into what I call the case for change, this is the team story that, that we put together about a year ago. And um, just an example, I mean, this is, a, this is a process too. I mean, this brings everybody together into a room and, um, you know, it looks 
clean and neat when it's finished, but it's a it's a process to get to something like this with a lot of different ideas around, well, what is your team really there to do? Um, I would recommend doing something like this before you get into some kind of a, a restructure and then after as well, because it'll give you an idea of how does the team see itself? What does it see itself doing, producing? What are the most important things? And um, if you do a before and after, you can, um, it's pretty telling. Yeah, hopefully you've had time to scan through that. This is um, a deck that I put together, uh, let's see, last summer. And I use this with senior leaders and with uh, communicators at the university. You know, as we were past the assessment phase for what the communication marketing team would look like, we needed to get into creating more buy-in for the change ahead. And so this deck um, starts off at, with a kind of a normal um, case for change tactic, and that is um, show me the big picture. And so we, what I was doing in this slide is showing folks at the university kind of articulating, um, people knew this, but kind of articulating in a clean way, um, you know, increased competition for the University of Nebraska, recruitment costs going up. Um, you know, more four-year institutions granting degree or more institutions granting four-year degrees. Um, scholarships and aid up 88% as students expect more money. And um, just the high cost of startup for um, research and new faculty in science or engineering. And these are things, again, that people, certainly leaders at the university, kind of know or kind of had a good feel for. But when they saw it all articulated on the side, they're kind of like, okay, yeah, I can see that um, things are getting tougher and tougher out there. And so that leads into a conversation around, okay, well, what are we going to do about it from a communication and marketing perspective? If we just keep doing the same things that we're doing now, are we going to be able to compete? Also shared with them key insights. This is a, um, from the Edelman survey that um, those folks do, I think, every other year. Uh, this one is University Reputations in the Public. And I wanted just to share with folks, you know, how people think about higher ed and, um, you know, the, the idea that academic excellence is not enough anymore. The public expects more um, and that if you're sitting inside a institution of higher education, there might be a disconnect between yourself and the, and the public um, in the, what the role is of universities. Um, real world world impact. So anyway, just a way to kind of say, hey, here's what's going on out there. Another slide along those lines that I pulled from the Edelman deck. And then this was University of Nebraska specific, all backed by data. You know, so what's the university known for? Um, and, and clearly I was selective with the data that I used, right? I mean, it was definitely representative, representative of what was going on and what is going on at the university. Um, but it it was meant to tell a story, and the story was we need to do something different in communication and marketing to address these things. And then just talking about some of the the things that universities are doing in terms of marketing. And this got into the actual data at the University of Nebraska. And I should note for everyone that the deck will be available online afterwards. So um, if they aren't able to, able to see the slides right now, they can check them out later in more detail. Sure. Um, you know, what we spent and how we spent it, what we spent by campus, the non-personnel spend. And then this was a, you know, okay, what are we gonna what are we gonna do? We see what we're spending our money on. We're not being terribly efficient with what we do spend our money on. And so how are we gonna change? So it just a summary slide of kind of the from two. So we do have a question from Twitter. Um, Jennifer Winters at the University of Oregon is asking, do you have an example of universities that are using the matrix and the results operational model? She's interested in learning more on that. I don't have an example. We were moving toward that at the University of Nebraska when I left. Um, they may end up doing that, I'm not sure. So I didn't, you know, I didn't develop that from another university. I used a matrix model in private industry. You can take, uh, do you want to switch out your screen so that people can see you again, Teresa? Yeah. So do you think that maybe higher ed is 
is behind in not reflecting what you've seen in the corporate world? Can you guys see me? No, you can see me a couple of times, unfortunately. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> um, but yeah, do you think do you think that in that higher ed is kind of operating on old models or models that are just currently ineffective in today's digital landscape? I don't want to give a blanket answer to that. No, okay. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be offensive to anybody, but um, but I would say that different industries can learn from different industries, right? So. I do think that there are ways to be more progressive. And um, I think that if if universities are running agency models and doing a chargeback for services, it's very difficult to be strategic with those. It can be done, but I think it's difficult to be strategic. So um, I, I do think that more progress can be made if you're running more of an operational-based results-oriented model. I did have a question going back to to earlier on when you were talking about talking to the teams and moving people around. What do you do when people are entrenched? I guess it's a, it's more of a change question, right? There's a lot of people who are entrenched in what their job is, and maybe their job and their skill set isn't exactly what's needed. Um, is there ways to rather than eliminating that person's job, train them, move them in the right direction? I just want to hear your thoughts on that. It's going to be, it'll be dependent upon the individual, right? But I mean, there are many cases where people just need to be brought along to what the new model is, what the new expectations are, and um, creating clarity in that instance and understanding what people are motivated by are the two main factors, I think. I mean, yeah, I mean, sometimes it just doesn't work out, but a lot of times it does. I mean, we're, we're all in a constant state of change, right? I mean, most people are fairly agile if, if we ask them to be and are clear about what our expectations are. So, um, so I think it's absolutely worth a try, but, but it, it's harder for, um, it's harder for the leader. I think it requires more investment from the leader. I think it, um, takes more time, but in the end, it's probably worth it. Awesome. Okay, well, I think that's about all the time we have for today. So I'm just going to once again thank our guest, Teresa Paulson, for joining us. I think a lot of great information came out of this webinar. And uh, again, the slides will be posted with the link where you're currently watching the webinar. So you can always download those for future use. I think there's a, just a trove of knowledge there. Um, and as always, thanks to our program sponsor, PRSA's Counselors to Higher Education. Don't forget to follow and engage with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And we appreciate you joining us for this special edition of Higher Ed Live. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks, everybody.